Hello and welcome to the Jabroni Show on CFRC 101.9 FM. And unfortunately, not as always, I'm not joined by Evan today. Double negative. A little blunder to start off the show. No big deal. But uh, due to a scheduling error of my own, unfortunately, Evan will not make it today. So you'll get a uh, little solo episode from me. And beyond that, this will be the final episode of the Jabroni Show for this season. Um, on a more, I guess, personal note, I'll be heading out on a long canoe trip in uh, the Tamagami Kippewa area this Friday. So that's why we won't get any more. Unfortunately, we won't get any off-season Jabroni episodes. So in this episode, we're going to be going over the finals results, which happened recently, the latest NBA trade between the New York, uh, between the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. And on top of that, we're just going to go around some of the NBA trade discussion and rumors that's happening around the league. So we recently saw the Milwaukee Bucks become crowned the NBA championship, uh, the NBA champions in game six versus the Suns. And as I'm sure you guys have heard week over week over week, Evan and I have been banging hard for the Bucks. We've been saying Bucks all the way, Bucks in six, Brandon Jennings style. We knew the Bucks were going to win. We've been calling it from the start. Sure, injuries did help them out, but this has kind of rushed in a new era of Giannis domination in the NBA. I think it became clear in that game six where he dropped 50 points in the closing that he's kind of figured it out. He knows the angles he can attack at. I mean, Evan and I have talked about in great detail how DeAndre Aiden kind of is the perfect defender for him and how, I mean, he could only slow him down until he fouled out of the game. So really just a stunning performance from Giannis and the Bucks on that side. Beyond that, um, beyond that, we saw big games from Chris Middleton hitting perhaps the most clutch shot of the entire series as he has done the entire series leading up to it and drew holiday really playing some lockdown defense so since that happened a little bit ago i'll let that subject go to rest and what i really want to focus my attention on is this grizzlies and pelicans offseason trade in the trade we saw a little bit of a pick swap going on we're getting the pelicans giving the 10th to the Grizzlies for the 17th and then some lower round first round picks are also swapping. I think it's 30 and 40. And then on top of that, the Pelicans are giving the Grizzlies Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe in return for Jonas Valanciunas. What really makes this trade interesting is how it shows how the Pelicans are really focusing on getting success with Zion now because I really think if they don't figure out this situation, we could be see, uh, see Zion being the first player to walk away from that kind of max level deal he can enter after his rookie contract because they they haven't created the shooting and the space around him they needed yet. I mean, maybe trading away Bledsoe now opens up space for them to re-sign Lonzo, which would be great, honestly. And they need... I don't want to say win now, but they need to start getting in contention, getting in the playoff games, playing a lot more meaningful games down the stretch, and staying in it. And reports are just coming out now actually saying that the Grizzlies are going to look to flip Bledsoe as well. So his cap might not stick with them for long. I'd be interested to see kind of where he moves. He still has two seasons remaining on a $70 million contract extension he signed in 2019. But I don't know. He He's kind of been moved around just as a cat piece these past couple trades. So 
I'd be surprised to see them get any real value for him. But the value they did really get is in that number 10 pick they now have. And the type of guys that could be available to them there, we could see a Davion Mitchell still falling if he's not picked by the um if he's not picked by the Warriors at seven, which I would honestly not be too surprised if that doesn't happen, just considering I think they feel like they could get him at 14. So in that kind of 10 spot, what's sitting there is if a uh, if a Jonathan Kaminga drops, which might be a little far of a stretch, we could see a Cameron Thomas, a nice guard action to replace him, younger perimeter shooting, ball handling kind of things that we don't see from Bledsoe. Alper and Sengu, which would be not really making sense considering they just traded for Stephen Adams. Josh Giddy could be fun to see there as well, 18-year-old with great playmaking and a good feel for the game. And then kind of the more interesting pick in that area is Usman Gar- uh, Garbuda, sorry for the pronunciation there, who is a hyper defender and just kind of reminds me of OG Ananobi, to be honest, which would be a great turnout for someone from the number 12 pick. But as far as opening that up for the Grizzlies there, I am super excited to see what they can do and kind of build off that win they had over the Warriors in the playing game with John Morant going absolutely nuclear. And the only thing I'm kind of confused about for this trade is how Valanchunas changes the kind of floor-clogging situation they had going on with Steven Adams. I know he's a bit faster in the pick-and-roll, but beyond that, they're pretty similar players, to be honest. And it really only seems like a cap dump for Bledsoe and just kind of switching out two guys who do a very, very similar thing. Now, the surprise for me will be I mean, we've seen Valanciunas kind of have more of an impact. Well, not kind of. He has had more of an impact than Adams throughout this past season. And ha- honestly had some major moments for the Grizzlies, kind of being their number two scorer when needed. But on the on the Pelicans with, you know, Jackson Hayes as well still sitting there. Not that he's ready to start yet. I don't know. I feel like they need somebody who can stretch the floor a bit more at their five spot. Maybe like a Miles Turner if that's another flip or a trade away for them if he's still available. And the reason why I bring up his name, even though it hasn't been as the trade talks around him, haven't been as active as they were last year, kind of with him potentially going to Boston or Toronto is because I don't see their new coaching hire in Indiana, Rick Carlisle really loving the Sabonis Turner front court that was put out there last season. Both players extremely talented. I honestly love both of them, but seeing them play together just didn't, work the best now i want to uh, shift the conversation a bit more onto the more general trade rumors in the nba starting off with our uh, i guess you could say close to hometown toronto raptors and they i mean they have made kind of a buzz to say the least there has been talks of them aggressively pursuing a trade up to three or two kind of in hopes for a mobley or Jalen green type which which I honestly think are steps step up from the Suggs spot, which we are sitting in. But if we ultimately did end up with Suggs, I wouldn't be disappointed. I guess the way I see each three of those players sliding in would be Suggs is, I feel as much as it pains me to say this, I feel like Lowry's gone this offseason. 
he wants another ring. He might team up with DeMar. We're not going to be able to pay him the money he wants, which is reportedly $30 million for three years or $30 million over three years. And I don't know. I feel like Jalen Suggs can come in and bring that kind of energy, that intensity. I loved him in the finals. I mean, not in the finals, but leading up to the final four, into the finals. And he still played well despite facing a tough team in the finals of the uh, March Madness tournament. But beyond that, Evan Mobley, I'm in love with. I don't know any other way to put it. He, athletic seven-footer, can stretch the floor. He's got a great handle, and I honestly think he could initiate offense if needed to, or with time, honestly. And he kind of reminds me of Chris Bosh, I might say, or a much more athletic and talented Chris Boucher, honestly. So with that Evan Mobley pick, I think that would be the best fit outside of Kate Cunningham, uh, Cunningham, of course. But he's, I think, pretty much a lock for number one. Surprisingly, there are some people, I mean, like the ringers, Bill Simmons, who do think Mobley is perhaps more talented, has a higher ceiling than Cade. So I'd be I'd be really happy with the trade-up, but it depends what that trade-up package will look like. If we have to give up maybe a Siakam, I might not be as happy. If we have to give up something of that caliber, I mean, Siakam's probably already a top 35 guy in the NBA. To give up for a guy who we hope will be a top 15 guy, when we still could maybe get a top 50 guy out of Suggs, it's a lot to look at. But the Toronto trade rumors that have been picking up steam is more the Ben Simmons trade, honestly, and that we are interested in him, which doesn't surprise me too much. Ben Simmons, even though he had a terrible, I mean, playoff performance, you could say, he still played well, but terrible offensive playoff performance considering what his expectations are. And I'm hoping what his expectations are for himself as far as mentally kind of falling apart there. He's still a great player, and I really think it adds something to Toronto. So the kind of, and it is linked that Philly's really interested in Phil, in um, in Kyle Lowry. On top of that, we know New Orleans is interested in Kyle Lowry. We know the Lakers are interested in Kyle Lowry. We know the Clippers are interested in Kyle Lowry. But for this trade to happen right now, we'd have to look at maybe a Kyle Lowry sign-in trade for Simmons along with the fourth overall pick. And maybe, and honestly, Sim uh, Lowry, the fourth, which is kind of like a Suggs type figure that they could flip for something more or continue to use. And then, as far as cap space, I'm trying to put it together in my head right now. What could work out? We'd be looking at something like, I mean, we'd be looking at something maybe like adding in OG, which would be too much. And then we need to get some salary back to match it. It's a tough trade for Toronto to do, really, if Philadelphia is not interested in that fourth pick. But as far as how this would change both of the teams, I think it just shows how Philadelphia really should have given up for Kyle Lowry at the trade deadline now that they might consider a a sign-in trade with Simmons for him. It shows that It shows that, I mean, the value of Simmons has dropped, even though a lot of people say it hasn't dropped. And I don't know. It's just a really confusing look there. But in the end, if the Raptors did hang uh, hang on and get 
that Simmons, uh, Simmons in the end, I think he would be perfect in Toronto. And his jump shot may never may never be fixed and fixed, and that's honestly okay if he's willing to accept the role that um, that we're kind of gonna have to lay out for him, or if we try to expand his role and make him an even bigger part of the process. So it all kind of comes down to. Does Ben Simmons want to win in Toronto? Is something that is that something he'd be interested? In? How much do the Philadelphia 76ers value the fourth pick that Toronto currently has? Do they really feel like Lowry is worth that sign and trade? And if he's not, would we need a would the extra spice need to be maybe a second round pick? Maybe a flip of some younger players, maybe like a Tyrese Maxi Malachi Flynn flip. But beyond that Simmons trade, we've also heard Pascal Siakam to the Golden State Warriors, which would maybe be Pascal for Wiggins in the seventh, plus maybe something else. And that's had kind of a mixed bag of reviews, that thought, as far as how much... I mean, Wiggins took a big step forward defensively last year, but I still don't think is in the same echelon as a um, Pascal Siakam type I know he had a really rough season this year with the bubble and then playing in Tampa Bay. But if you look back at his stats from the playoffs in the previous season, this guy, a lot of people talk about Kyle Lowry as the number two in Toronto's 2019 playoff run. But if you really look closely, the number two was Pascal Siakam. And he put up consistently pretty much the second most amount of points, always active on the boards, always active in transition, pick and roll. And kind of had his hands on everything that Kawhi did and didn't during that 2019 run. The other big kind of trade news spiraling around the NBA is if, and I mean this has been a storyline going on all season, is if Bradley Beal will ultimately request a trade from the Wizards. We all know he's a loyal guy and we all know he thinks about more than just being in that situation. He talks about how his kids go to school there, how they've made friends there, and really established a life in D.C. But beyond all that, we know how much more Bradley Beal could be away from the Wizards. And I mean, talking about some of the similar teams we did before, if Bradley Beal did become available, we'd see maybe him going to a team like the Warriors in a trade for like maybe a um, just spitballing here, maybe Wiggins, the seventh and Wiseman, we could maybe and, and potentially more picks. I mean, the price of superstars is astronomical right now. So maybe even another and then a future pick maybe the 7 the 14 7 14 Wiseman and Wiggins for Beal could happen and I think that trade would I think I think both of those teams would accept that trade and then the other look would be more of a Boston angle because we know how much Tatum and Beal get along but for that to happen it would have to be something like giving up Jalen Brown which I honestly don't know if that's worth it. We've seen that Brown and Tatum together can reach the Eastern Conference Finals and have lots of success. Brown continues to grow and surprise everybody each year, so I wouldn't count him out on that front. So with all this being said, I think, I mean, Minnesota could also potentially make a run for Beal. I don't know if he'd want to go to Minnesota, to be honest. Out of all of those, I'd have to say that that 
the uh, wizard. I'd love to see the Warriors look. I mean, the three Splash Brothers. So much shooting, so much space. I don't know if it it would it wouldn't be like Kevin Durant because he doesn't have the size or the skill of him, but it'd be it would be similar to what we saw there, having the defensive movement of Draymond, and then losing Wiseman would hurt as that centerpiece. But we know Kevin Longley can put in some work down there. Some kind of more low-key spots we could see Beal end up, which haven't been talked about as much, would be one would be the Miami Heat. Because they did kind of situate their cap. You know, they could generate close to $27 million in cap space this offseason. And although Beal makes 37.7, both uh, Drogic and Igadawa have team options that Miami could if they choose to not exercise one of them, could ultimately afford Beal using. So that is one offer. And the trade, I mean, the trade that would, the trade looked more enticing for the Wizards last season. It would have to be centered around Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, who are now who's now a restricted free agent, maybe Precious, Precious Ochua, and then as well some 20 some first round picks in the future. So not as exciting for a Washington fan. Denver, the package would have to be around Michael Porter Jr. And uh, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. and picks, honestly, that would put them into the luxury tax, but they're a competing team and it would definitely be worth it. Memphis Grizzlies, the team on the move, if they can move Bloodsoe to them with a large package of picks and maybe another young player, maybe a Dylan Brooks, for example, they could get it done there too. And then finally, the last team I kind of want to mention is... Um, actually, I got two more I want to mention. Another one is the Nor... The, Zion Pelicans, the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the trade offer today, both the teams part of the trade movement today, is Bradley Beal would fit perfectly with Zion. And, I mean, we say that, but we saw it hasn't really worked out great with Brandon Ingram, along with a couple other guys who have been through there. But as long, but now that they do have this a bit more cap space where they could maybe bring back Lonzo, if they get rid of a... I don't even know if it'd have to be around Brandon Ingram... They have a load of first-round picks. As far as salary filler, they could even move Jonas Valanciunas one more time. But this trade would really be the trade if they wanted first-round picks because it would ultimately be ended, be end up being some sort of salary match. Maybe, I mean, most likely probably a Jonas Valanciunas-type salary. Maybe and then they'd have to add in maybe a couple other guys, maybe a Jackson Hayes, and then all the picks they got, all the Bucks picks, all their picks, maybe some of the Lakers picks, but they have the picks where if that's what, and I'm supposing that's what Washington would want since they're rebuilding, that's where they would look. Now I know I did say that I would take the Golden State trade if I was the Washington GM, and after kind of mulling over all these moves. I still kind of feel that way, but the draft picks are so enticing as future draft capital. And depending what happens with these kind of Lakers and the Bucks, I mean, I think the Bucks are going to be good for a while. I think the Lakers, 
I don't know, healthy health wise, they'll be good. With all of them healthy, they're still got to be a top five title favorite for next year. So not as enticing. I'd still have to go with the Golden State trade, honestly, in the end. One thing we do have to note is that if this Bradley Beal trade does happen, it's going to most likely have to happen before the draft. With Beal's kind of situation and the type of picks that would need to be involved, I mean, obviously he can force his way during the season. We've seen many superstars force them out of force their ways out of much tougher situations. But I'd have to believe that it would go down within the next couple days. And now that we have talked about kind of all the NBA draft, trades, final season wrap-up news, I want to look at the Olympics and the very, very disappointing Team USA performance against France and just kind of how it shows. I mean, Kobe talked about it for, for one of the most recent FIBA World Cups before he unfortunately passed away about how America can't relax anymore. All these nations are getting better. France is getting better. Australia is getting better. China's getting better. Canada's getting better, although Canada didn't make the Olympics. Japan, I mean, even is getting better. We saw Yuta Wananabe put up major stats today, 19 points, five steals, among some other good-looking uh, good looking stuff. And the U.S. style of basketball, I mean, it's not the U.S. style. It's the style of five... All-stars. I mean, the roster construction, which Evan and I have been over, is not great. They've got five all-stars playing like an all-star game, doing iso ball, missing easy shots, trying to draw fouls that aren't... I don't want to say aren't real fouls, but are only fouls in the NBA. You wouldn't call them at any other level of basketball, really. It's been tough for them. I mean... I think it all comes down to roster construction. I mean, let's break it down from the top. Dame Lillard, amazing top 10 guy in the league. No doubts about it. But you kind of need, at the point guard position for Team USA, someone who's willing to make sure everybody gets theirs. And everybody kind of eats all around the clock. And Dame is the guy who goes and he feasts. And he feasts and he feasts and he feasts. So that's tough at the point guard position. Although I love Dame all my heart. I mean, can't say enough good things about him. It's It's tough. On a team full of all-stars. Beyond that, there's not a lot of places. It seems like the ball just stops. Although these guys are all elite, when the ball gets them, it stops. And they try to do some dribble moves and kind of get it going. It's just, they need to do a couple things. They need to either start getting a consistent squad together that practices together. Keep maybe a main core together of three guys who will always practice together. Keep moving kind of have that as your Olympic squad that you build around, kind of like the uh, Carmelo, James, and uh, Dwayne Wade teams that we saw for a while. Or you need to go young. I mean, if they did under 23 for this, I'd be much more excited. We'd see both the Ball brothers. We'd see some Jason Tatum. We'd see probably maybe even some Evan Mobley, some Jared Allen. And it would be honestly exciting to see that team go out there and really care and really leave it all out there and try to play as a team, kind of elevate one star player, whether that be Jason Tatum, probably Jason Tatum, to go out there and dominate. But it just hasn't really gelled for this squad, and I don't think they're going to win gold. I mean, we saw Luka today drop an amazing 48, which is unreal considering it's a shorter game. 
in FIBA and the fouls are harder to get by putting up almost 50% of what Argentina put up. I feel like I don't, I mean, Slovenia isn't going to, I don't want to say they're not going to win. I'd be extremely shocked if they won. I think it'd be more likely to see a France or Australia or Spain come away with the W unless we really see him go full. I mean, I've heard some jokes. The team he has there is better than the team in Dallas, but we all know that isn't true. So as far as the winner of the Olympics, I'm not, it's not the U.S. in my opinion. And well, I don't want to end up on such a sour note for our last episode of the season. I'm going to kind of bring it back and thank all the listeners um, who have tuned in throughout, you know, 56 episodes throughout the pandemic and have really, you know, helped make this show come alive. And I want to give a shout out to Evan for being a, a phenomenal co-host and CFRC for being a great station, letting us do our uh, show. So th- I want to uh, thank everybody who's been a part of this. Thank everybody who listens. You are listening to CFRC 101.9 FM signing out from the Jabroni Show.
And you're listening to JB on CFRC 101.9 FM. Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addicton in offering confidential quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388. 